Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer, living and working in Chicago, Illinois. And I'm your host, Anne Remy. I'm a counseling psychotherapist, yoga teacher, and trauma specialist living in Brighton, UK. On this show, we interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. But we're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level, from white supremacy, late-stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's been more than 10 seconds now. I was about to, like, lift up my shirt and show you my boobs. The audience wouldn't be able to see it. It would have just been for No, but I... Uh, do you know I would have I would have appreciated that. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is what my laugh sounds like right now, you guys. I've been so fucking sick, and Andrea didn't want me to record while I was hoarse. But I can't. I, I, the show must go on. The show must. The show must go on. Don't sing along with you, me. Please, I can't. Sarah. I can't. You have to <laughs> sing all of it for me. You have to sing both parts. I'm not going to do that to everybody today. <laughs> I mean, not that I, I have a very nice singing voice, but not today. Not today. But today, what I will share with everyone is that you can buy merch for our show. What? I'm getting so good at these segues, y'all. You are. Uh, you, you can indeed buy merch. Go to tinyurl.com slash CWH merch. That's tinyurl.com slash CWH merch. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts which is super important for us. It helps other people find the podcast and it makes us look super cool. And you can support us on Patreon. And if you do support us on Patreon with as little as what, a dollar a month? Even a dollar a month. Is that right? That's it. Even a dollar a month. Sarah's going to send you a gift if you're in the United States. If you're in the UK, I'm going to send you a gift. And if you're elsewhere, good luck. Yeah. We'll see. We'll send you a good vibe. <laughs> Oh, my sad laugh makes me so sad. No, it's, I think it's cute. But hold on, I have to tell everybody yeah. how they can support us on Patreon. Okay, okay. It's patreon.com slash convos with a wounded healer. That's patreon.com slash convos with a wounded healer. Ever the consummate professional. I just had, I got to make sure. Yeah. If they want to support us, I'm not trying to stop them. It's true. And I do want to shout out, we got some lovely reviews lately that specifically mentioned you. And so kudos to you, Anne, for recruiting some lovely feedback. Thank you. I'm just excited that the that the folks are liking it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah, tell us a little bit about how you're feeling in the voice that's going on and, and what you've been going through. Well, it's wild. I mean, I've already talked about how like this is my year to change my relationship with my body. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that this is part of the process, and I do not like this part. Mm-hmm. It's literally been four weeks since I had I started with a cough. It's not COVID. It's not the flu. I got a cough again. Oh, we lost your sound. I am back now. There you go. Okay. Yeah. What's the last thing you heard? I have to cough. Great. So it did. It did <laughs> mute, and then it freaked out. Yes. So I have to cough again. Oh. Yeah, I have to cough like every 0.3 seconds. Basically, it feels like it's just a chest cold. And I've gone, I'm going to shout out the Midwest, what is it, Midwest Urgent Care, like right around the corner from me, right by Old Orchard. This doctor is so sweet and so caring. And every time she Mm. sees me, she's like, 
oh, like, I'm so happy to see you, but also not for you. <laughs> like, you're just so sweet. And like, we're trying everything. And she's like, next step, you have to see a pulmonologist because this cough is just like, no. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't smoke. I don't have asthma. She said GERD is the other thing that can like cause this to be a prolonged situation. I don't have any of those things. So I don't know what's going on, but she did give me some extra cough syrup that is supposed to hopefully like be extra, extra strength. So fucking pray for me, you guys, because like I use my voice for a living in like so many capacities and it, the debilitation of my soul not mm -hmm. being able to communicate is just like, I do not know what to do with myself if I can't speak my truth. It's been awful. Mm, when I was a senior in high school, I got a really bad case of mono. Woof. Or for British listeners, that's glandular fever. And I almost died. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, yeah. My tonsils grew together and then down my throat. And even after they shrank, shrunk, they were the size of a grown man's thumb uh, after he took them out. But I, this was my voice, the voice you currently have for three months. And I wound up in the ER. I wound up. But I was like, I was so adamant. I had been cast in my musical senior year of your good man, Charlie Brown. And I was Lucy. like, I will be, I will be, yes, of course, course I was. <laughs> and, and I was like, I will be damned. The guy was like, we got to take these things out. You're going to be really oh sick. And I was like, not before the music. <laughs> of course I would have done the same thing. Absolutely. And shout out to my mom who was like, I'm not fighting around this. And mm -hmm. like the day after the musical ended, I was getting my tonsils out. But I understand this. Yeah. Like, I understand how like stifling and like just sad. Yes. Yes. It's like, I think my, my voice is the vehicle with which I live out my purpose in the world. And so to not literally be able to speak, I can't live my purpose. And I was like forced to just be with like, you're worthy because you exist. And I'm like, am I worthy yeah. because I'm just a potato on the couch? Am I? Like, I don't believe that that's true. I've got shit to do. It's crazy like how existential it got really quick. I'm such a yeah. fucking baby when it comes to that. I mean, even potatoes, are they not one of the most delicious vegetables? When you put cheese on them. Yeah, so just put some cheese on yourself and That's a great idea. Next time I'm sick, I'm just going <laughs> to sprinkle cheese on me. <laughs> sprinkle cheese. Done. Have you tried that? Have I you haven't. tried that on your throat yet? I haven't. I will. You're welcome. <laughs> speaking of speaking your truth. Yeah. I want to talk about today's guest. Yeah, 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 me too. Cuz he's great and this dude is speaking his truth with every possible voice he's got and through mediums that I didn't even think about speaking your truth from. So my buddy Juan Deal is he's using architecture to speak his truth. He is using his own DEI company to speak his truth. He is using a new program that he's got set up for helping people rate their workplaces based on DEI inclusion thing. Like he's just this dude literally gets an idea in his head and he just goes all for it. And I love this about him. And he text messages me and he's like, I've got this idea. What do you think? And he just loves to get other people's input to make it the best thing it can be. And that's like, that's the spirit. We talk about this, the spirit of Ubuntu, this Zulu word. We talk about this in the episode and he is just... Chef's kiss. Yeah. Chef's kiss. I fell in love with him very quickly. And it's funny, I, I listened to the episode just last night and this morning and 
already, if you didn't know what hot dogs had to do with racism, like get excited because <laughs> you get to learn that in this episode. It's adorable. I already purchased his anti-racist hot dog cards. I purchased the cards. Yay! I am buyer 1001. I'm very excited about that number for whatever reason. Awesome. And he is like also so impressive. It's funny because like yeah. you guys have such a relaxed like connection that's so sweet and so personal. But yet when I look him up online, I'm like, holy shit, this yeah. motherfucker is running yeah. things. You almost like you almost forget yeah. <laughs> what a badass he is because that's not the foot he leads with. Right. Like I don't think he mentioned in the episode that he's an Obama leader. And at all, like, I remember, yeah, <laughs> whatever, like, like, yeah, leave oh. that bit out. Good God. <laughs> but And I remember, I just remember being like, man, if I had that on my resume, I would be telling everyone that, right? I'd be telling my dentist. Oh my God. I would, I would, be I would wear vet. a sticker on me constantly. Yeah. That's amazing. But like, that's not, he just like, he, but he leads with him. And I love this about him. He just like, in this kind of vein of like, am I worthy by just existing? Like that's, I think that's the spirit he leads with is just like, I'm here and I'm worthy and it doesn't matter if all these other cool things that I happen to do exist or not, but like the cool things do exist. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I also just have to say, again, I feel like I keep saying this, but I want to keep saying it publicly. You are so fucking good at this. Oh, thanks. You are an excellent person finder of interviewees you just you really feel the spirit of like what this podcast is about and you just you're so good at it and like you're just so good you are so good and I really 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 am I just can't stop saying it because I just I appreciate you and this like I don't know it's just so fun to do this with somebody now and to know that I can have 100% trust in you feeling the spirit of like what I created and like making it exponentially like bigger and more loving and more fun and and more nuanced and more like more international like I would never have connected with this guy like but I want to be his best friend now too so <laughs> yeah he comes to the states all the time next time he he yeah. had something recently in Chicago I just saw on his Instagram yeah 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 and so I mean he 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 shows up and like he'll be around and yeah maybe obama shows up there too i don't know i would die maybe you can pester obama to be a guest on this podcast i just died president obama if you're listening i just died we'd love to have you i just died it's oh i'm dead i love him so much <laughs> you know and i want to separate the politics from the person i think yeah, he is sure. probably yeah. one of the most genuine most wholehearted good humans that have ever been in political office. I know he didn't do all the things we wanted him to do as liberals, but you know what? He's a fucking good yeah. fucking dude. And he hasn't been arrested. Oh God. I can't eat. Let's yeah. Let's let's move <laughs> on. We could talk forever, but you want to introduce your pal? Juan Dio Ntiane is an Obama leader, a TEDx fellow, an architectural designer, a social entrepreneur, and the founder and CEO of Ubuntu Design Group. And the anti-racist hot dog, he is proud to introduce the T, a peer-to-peer -peer inclusion rating platform. And I'm just going to invite everyone to pause the episode now, go on to the T, and rate your company. Ooh. What's the website? Go on grindt.com. That's G-R-I-N-D. 
T-E-A.com and rate your company now to help everybody else out. How's your company with diversity and inclusion and taking care of each other in those in those regards? What a badass. What a badass. And once you've done that, unpause the episode and listen to this amazing conversation, if I do say so myself. Are you ready? Yep. I got a song for you. <laughs> Let's go. See a humba to a podcast episode. See a humba to a podcast episode. Humba, see a Ooh, see a humba to a podcast episode. Shut up. Shut How is that for an intro? <laughs> Oh man! How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, I'm excited today because the South African women's team made history and became the first soccer team in South Africa to make it past the first round uh, of the World Cup. And men have failed to do this about like five World Cups. So <laughs> shout out to them. shout out to the ladies. Women will always uh, get it done. So shout out to them. Really excited about that, and I can't wait to to see their next game and the amazing thing that they're doing. It's more special because before they left, they were fighting the soccer federation because they didn't want to pay them what they were worth. Uh, and they had a strike. They set out a match, a preparation match, and uh, some South African billionaire came in and paid them. <laughs> awesome. Uh, awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, we love a we love a billionaire doing something nice. So yeah, let's cling to that story. <laughs> Wandile, I'm so excited to have you. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm excited to be here. It feels special to have you. You were one of the first people when I started co-hosting this. You're one of the first people I reached out to, and so I'm happy that we're we're finally making it happen. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm gonna let you introduce yourself and all of the amazing things that you do. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. And sorry, it took a little long uh, to get here. But my name is Wandidam Tiane. I am from Durban, South Africa. I was My claim to fame is that I was born three months before Nelson Mandela became president. I Wait, I'm sorry. School. How is your claim to fame that you were born three months before Nelson Mandela? How is that a claim? To Basically, fame? I had to be born for Nelson to become. Oh, president. okay. So it's not that you were born three months. You were the catalyst for him becoming president. You get it. He's, okay. You should be All my right. speech writer. I think. No problem. <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> Available for hire. <laughs> Thank you. And then I went to high school in Zimbabwe. And the president was Robert Mugabe, also their first black president. And then I went to college in America during President Obama's era. So I guess the full claim to fame is that I've sort of grown up under the three first black presidents of these three nations. And That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And each one of them has sort of shaped how I view the world. Mm. And I think because of that... You know, obviously Mandela becoming president and, you know, the whole struggle and fight against apartheid. You know, Zimbabwe, I think I learned more on sort of black consciousness, etc. And then in America, I was there during President Obama's term, which is also around the same time of like, you know, Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, etc. Mm -hmm. So my whole life has been centered around this idea of building relationships across difference. Mm -hmm. I've sort of grown up as the other in almost every context. So I've had to 
understand people from different cultures and different contexts and meet them where they're at. So that that and this idea of trying to find a home for myself, mm. where my family, even before I, I went to high school in Zimbabwe, we had moved like 13 times. So 13 times? Yeah, we'd moved wow. 13 times. Crazy. It's just crazy. And as a result, I studied architecture, one, to find out what a home is, but two, more importantly, was I'd grown up, part of that 13 times was living in an informal settlement. And I wanted to be able to to design and build dignified homes for folks that came from some of the communities that I lived in. So that's a little bit of my story. So my work now centers around using architecture as a vehicle to restore folks' dignity by building homes, Mm -hmm. but also using platforms like the T, which we'll talk about later, Mm -hmm. and our consulting within anti-racism and inclusion to help companies build homes of belonging for all their employees to thrive. So when I met you, you were giving a keynote speech at a conference and we kind of started chatting and and I missed your keynote speech yeah. because I was outside finding out that the whole world was shutting down. <laughs> and I was in Johannesburg going, I can't get stuck in Johannesburg yeah. if they're shutting borders. Yeah. How do I get out of here? <laughs> but you and I you and I had a chat. Yeah. We ha- had a long chat at night, maybe two, three hours, even yes. four hours. <laughs> we talked we talked for hours yeah, yeah. and I love I love this because the first thing we kind of talked about, you asked where I was from in the States. And I said, you know, Chicago, Midwest. And you were like, oh, I went to school in Michigan. And I was like, no, we're basically <laughs> Midwestern neighbors. Yes. And then you said, do you speak any Zulu as the way of like, how are we culturally exchanging? And I was like, no, I don't speak any Zulu. And you said, I forget the words you said. And I was like, hold on. That sounds like the song I learned in choir class, uh, yeah. which is a song that we just sang together. <laughs> and so it turns out I did know a Zulu song that I learned in high school. But so you and I just started bonding. And then you said to me, yeah, I work with anti-racist architecture. And I went, how is, I mean, everything is racist. So <laughs> yes. But like, how is architecture racist? Yeah. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how architecture is racist and then how you use it 100%. for those connecting purposes and for restoring dignity. I think that's a great question. I think to risk sounding like a, a gun defender, I think architecture in and of itself is not racist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but how it is applied and imposed on different cultures can have racism tendencies and effects within those particular cultures. So take, for instance, classical architecture, you know, Renaissance, Baroque, etc., Edwardian architecture. And then, you know, when folks came here during colonization England, they're like, oh, you know, how you guys are building is outdated barbaric etc etc from now on no one should build that this is what we build this is the standard of beauty Mm -hmm. this is it but what people also don't realize is that when we start building these edwardian buildings those buildings are like follicles they are symbols of power Mm. so when a zulu kid grows up in durban looking at edwardian building 
naturally they're curious, like, who is Edward? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, sure. And it was like, oh, Edward is the guy who came and colonized and took over and screwed the country over. And then it's like, oh, and we're still living in his buildings? <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's a, it's a symbol of imperialism in, yeah. within that context. So I think a lot of my work, and then obviously, like, you know, similar to the Jews in Italy in the 1400s and 15, and you know, you know, 1930s, etc., where they built ghettos for them. Mm. So there were ghettos for black people. So a lot of shacks and informal settlements come from that, where you know, white people were given land and built nice, dignified homes, whilst black people barely had land and resources to build. So you see that on the New York Times article talking about how South Africa is the most uneven uh, country in the world. On one end, there's mansions, which predominantly are white people. On the other end, there's shacks. So my work centers mm-hmm. around designing and building dignified homes for folks living in those informal settlements and sort of restoring their dignity and rediscovering what African architecture ought to look like. Mm. Rediscovering what African architecture ought to look like. Yeah. In 2023. I love that. So updating. So when you say that that you're rediscovering what African architecture ought to look like in 2023, what are the components that you're considering? Yeah, I mean, I think architecture like fashion and everything else evolves with time and needs. Mm-hmm. But African architecture was not allowed to evolve because it was shunned and barred in many ways. So Edwardian buildings are no longer the hot thing today, right? Mm. We've got, there was modern, contemporary, you know, at one point we had brutalism, which was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm i not going to lie. I low-key love a little bit of brutalist architecture. <laughs> that was a mistake. I think all architects agree that it's like we should have not done that. It can be a mistake, but every once in a while I look at a brutalist building and I'm like, I see you. <laughs> No I one mean, likes you, well, but I like you a little bit. You can't not see it, you know? <laughs> kind of the point. The whole idea was like, we're here. Like, you know? <laughs> like we have no ornament. We have no plaster. We have, it's just concrete and yeah. steel, right? At its hardest form. Look, I think it can be done right. I think you're right. There are buildings that worked, but majority of it did not. And a lot of them are abandoned buildings now. It's I saw a video where it's like a lot of brutalist buildings are abandoned, but governments and people do not want to destroy them because there's so much carbon emission (laughs) 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 that those buildings hold by themselves. But so with that said, it's like, you know, obviously people evolve, culture evolves, but African architecture, Mm. when you think about it in a very primitive sense you still think about sort of like the round dome hearts etc etc so how do we start learning from some of the principle as to why that particular house was designed and that's some of the things Mm -hmm. like for example when you look at the zulu house it's called ikugwane and the door is like shorter than your average door which forces Mm -hmm. you to bow when you come in but growing up in south africa in a normal house i could not walk into a um a neighbor or even my home without sort of like bowing as a sign of respect 
So going back to sort of the cultural elements that shaped architecture, because it was culture first, and then it shapes how the buildings look to fit that culture. Yeah. So starting to look back at those principles and then carry those principles. But another thing that you look at, you know, African architecture, it's very sustainable. It's made of local materials. It's zero carbon mm-hmm. footprint and all of these things. How do we sort of rediscover those materials and use them in mm-hmm. a modern way to to fit sort of our needs today? So those are some of the things I'd be looking at. It's funny because I, I thought of you and I'm trying to remember, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. I'm trying to remember what book it was that I read. It might have been... I'm not even going to say because I don't know if it's if that's correct or not. But yeah. I read a book that was set in either Ghana or Nigeria. And one of the characters in the book had moved. She had moved from a hut into a small city. And it was her first time living in a more modern building. And one of the things that the author had made sure to point out that the character was really struggling with was corners. Yes. And <laughs> how and how she really struggled with how they felt so final and how the room divisions felt really alienating or isolating. Yep. And I thought that was so interesting because it, you know, I've never lived in a round home, yeah. but the moment that character pointed it out, I was like, "Holy shit, that makes perfect sense." Yeah. You know, when you were saying about like bowing and the door shape being a part of that. It's yeah, there's there's so many things that we don't think about when we look at our buildings where our history and culture is built in. And I'm guessing a lot of that would have been removed with colonialism. Hundred percent. I think Churchill, since you're in England, says we shape our buildings, thereafter they shape us. Mm. I remember in architecture school learning that porches were built after they had won some war. Right. So, you know, obviously had defeated some country or colonized some country and took it over. And that's when they will come in and then start having portraits. So all of these things have meaning. And and, and that's mm-hmm. sort of what I'm I'm pointing to as we talk about sort of the significance of architecture. But when you also look at the the round shape, it signifies this idea of community, this idea of Ubuntu, which is what obviously societies in South Africa are organized around those concepts. Can you tell us a little bit about that word, Ubuntu? Yeah. Ubuntu means I am because we are. So it's the idea that, you know, I think in the simplest form, it's like if my mom is cooking and then halfway mid cooking, she realizes like she doesn't have on, enough onion or something like that, I could run next door and get it and she can cook mm. it, right? So that, that deep sense of community, interdependence, collaboration. And how did you, because you've recently finished building a family home that you've designed. And so how does all of that and how did all of that play into the design of your family home and the building of it? And and what was the process of moving into a home that you designed for your family like? That's a good question. I wish I could say more played into it, but I Mm. wasn't paying for the home. (laughs) Yeah. So I did get to shape what style it's built in yeah so the home was built in a more sort of like neo-traditional architecture so like neoclassical architecture with a modern twist to it and that's because my uncles who grew up during apartheid saw these classical buildings and these fancy mansions of that style 
mm-hmm. as a sign of wealth. So mm. when you think about you're like 12 years old and you see a building, you're like, one day I'm going to have a building like that. Now you're 60, you have money and you're fulfilling that childish dream. You're not going to listen to a 20 something year old tell you like, no, this is actually colonial. Let's do a more African thing. (laughs) (laughs) Which I tried, but they're like, oh, that sounds cool. But can you build that with your money? (laughs) But that's, I mean, it, it speaks to the lasting threads of colonialism, doesn't it? You know, that mm. even in the dreams that your uncles had for what their home would look like. It talks to representation matters, right? Yeah. I don't, I mean, I was mad at the time, but I don't blame them because that's all they Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so yeah, the house is, is good, though. <laughs> I mean... I've seen photos. It's gorgeous. So what was it like for your family to move into a home that you designed and and whether or not it was exactly, you know, what you're hoping for or whatever? What was it like for your family to move into a home that is like the culmination of all this work you've done? Yeah, no, I think it was very special. I think number one, let me put some context and this way the healing sort of comes into play. Yeah. Well, my mom grew up in the Eastern Cape of South Africa. My Dad uh, is from Guazulu Natal, his Zulu, which makes me Zulu. But I think, you know, after my mom's mother passed away, and I think there was some sort of family conflict, I think she was mad that they didn't bring her from school for the funeral. So they just mm. like brought her, she just came in on the holidays only to see what had happened. Mm. So she sort of, never went back <laughs> after mm-hmm. one semester going to boarding school and, you know, met my dad, eventually got married, sort of like eloped. So I don't think she left in the greatest of terms from the mm-hmm. that she was raised in. You know, but over the years, you know, they mended some of those relationships. I went there when I was like three months old and I never went back until I had to come and design this home. My mom passed away like a month before I was supposed to go start school in Michigan, mm. so July 2012, August day. So I ended up postponing and going in the in the spring. Mm-hmm. So going there and accepting this project was in a way trying to reconnect with her upbringing, mm. where she you know was raised and where she went. But also sort of like posthumously honoring everything that she had done for me to be who I am. Mm. Though she obviously didn't live to see it, you know, home was always important to her, our own home. And, mm-hmm. and I had heard a lot of stories. She told me a lot of stories about her upbringing there, et cetera. So going there was sort of like an emotional experience when we went for the first site visit with my team, et cetera. So we tore down the old house that she lived in and we built a new one. One of the things that I built specifically for her in that home was, you know, in the early 2000s, there was something in South Africa called a room divider, but I think in America it was called like units, cabinets. I don't don't know what it's called, but what it is, is like you see on the living room wall, there's like Mm -hmm. these built-in cabinets where Mm -hmm. the center is big for the TV and then on the side it's books, etc. So yeah, so she, she always... Dreamed of having a home that has that train. That's cool. 
So when I designed this mansion of a home where to replace the home she grew up in, that is no longer in fashion. (laughs) 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 Stuff like that. But I built a modern version of that in sort of like the TV slash game room where people come and watch the World Cup, etc. So it's like a glass version of that. And there's a TV at the center and like a mini bar and, and stuff like that. So I thought that was cool to be able to sort of integrate. Because one of the key things was just trying to remember like what home she dreamt of and spoke about. What did that look like? Mm. And trying to bring moments of that in each in in everything that we did when we were designing our family home. And that's exactly what you just said you're aiming to do with architecture is kind of bridging what was and what could be. Yes. 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 But also healing. And also healing. Healing is important. I, I had a, a coffee with a friend a few weeks ago who helped me realize like how much I did that project to heal from the grief. Mm. You know, obviously, I don't think you fully heal, but it was a closure in a way because I remember walking in December. That was the whole opening. I remember like walking behind two of my grandmas and they were speaking and saying, one is like, oh, Muli's son, you know, did this house, right? And even though I don't have a personal relationship with a lot of my uncles and folks from that side of the family. So mm-hmm. I don't have that attachment. And the house in that context means less to me. But mm-hmm. when she said that to the other grandma, I felt a sense of peace and relief because I was like, oh, like I know my mom would be proud of this because sort of like this idea of like the rejected stone has become the chief cornerstone. Like she, her legacy is cemented into the history of her family forever. That's so lovely. And I got to do that. So I am, yeah, just repay everything that she's done for me and sort of show my appreciation in that sense. Mm. So that's what's healing. There's something about cementing your mom's legacy that when you said that, that really just kind of like vibrated in me. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I think I'm watching a new documentary on Shaga Zulu. Not documents, it's like a new series they made in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Because the old movies were like very whitewashed and Shagazulu spoke English. <laughs> 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 so this is like a new, really cool one. And I'm learning something new. It's like, you know, Shagazulu is like his army was the first army to defeat the British ever. <laughs> and they had shields and spears. And these guys had guns, right? Mm. And because of that. I speak my language and you learned Siahamba. We were not sort of erased, <laughs> That's right. right? We could yeah. not be erased yeah. because of that. So it was this fierce warrior who won all these battles and you know, made sure to maintain sort of indigenous culture in South Africa for the most part. Mm-hmm. But what I'm learning now is that when her mom died, he fell apart. When her mom died, he fell apart. And started losing back. He number one, he didn't go to the battles. So whenever someone died, there's like a time of mourning. Still part of the Zulu mm-hmm. culture, where you know sometimes folks would wear like a small pin that's black to show that they're mourning. Mm-hmm. They won't plow the land. They won't work maybe for a week, etc. And it was normally a year of mourning, 
but he sets an indefinite <laughs> time of morning, which was starting to be detrimental <laughs> to the Zulu people, right? And he no longer led the armies himself up front, which they won every battle when he, when he mm. was. He just sent armies and they started losing <laughs> battles and stuff until her aunt and her brother conspired to assassinate him so that the nation continues, <laughs> which is what happened and then move on. Sad ending. But what that showed is that when Shaga was young, her mom was very disrespected and sort of like kicked out of the household by Shaga's father and just really lived a tough life. And Shaga always mm. knew that he would be king, right? So he did all of this nation building, all of these things to sort of restore her mom's dignity. And the source of her power was from her mom and making sure that she's happy. And I felt that. I felt that because... You know, I think no one ever believed in me as much as my mom did. Even going to college in America, you know, against all odds, et cetera, et cetera. So when her death finally dawned six years later after my grandmother passed away, when I realized, like, oh, I have no one now, like, on a parental figure, I, it just crushed me. I was, like, depressed. The only time I felt like it was myself was when I was playing soccer. I told my professors I wasn't going to come to class. I wasn't in class for like two weeks. This is my master's too. But luckily I had built enough of a reputation and a foundation in the school that I could do anything that I wanted at that point. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but the same thing sort of happening to Shaga was happening to me. It was like, what's the point? if? Mm. Because my whole life has been like making a difference in people from my community, etc. I was like, I am making a difference in other people's life, but the people who made a difference in my life are no longer there. Mm. So that was tough. And so what was it that kind of pulled you out of that? Or I think that's a good question. I think, you know, a lot of things. <laughs> and I think in yeah. many ways, I'm still trying to come out of that. I think it's a sure. process. But one of my cousins, you know, who's more tied to my grandmother, called me and we had a conversation. He's like, yes, I get it. But what did they want us to be? Did they want us to be out here sad and crying like this? Mm. Or did they want us to, you, you know, go out there and, and live out their legacy because now they live through us and continue making that impact? So, yeah. you know, whether talking to you and you feeling at home and maybe seeing that interaction in a positive way and that's still their legacy because I learned that from somewhere. Mm -hmm. So how do I continue the legacy on and sort of be the change that they were to me? So that's, that's one framing that helped, but also just like resorting back to the things that I loved. Like the one thing that's connected my whole life is like soccer. So I played, played a lot of soccer, just went out with friends. Are you translate? Do you call it football in South Africa? Are you translating for me? We <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, South Africa uses interchangeably football and soccer. Uh, okay. When I went to the West, I realized there was a war on the terms. We're like, okay. <laughs> I So here's the thing. This is a side note. As an American living 
outside of the United States, you can't win. So if I call it soccer, everyone goes, oh, you mean football? And if I call it football, they go, what, American football? I can't I can't win. So I've just given up anyways. So you (laughs) I faced that in college and and folks would be really mad about it too right and um, people get pissed about it it's just uh, such a dumb thing to get so it's not a big (laughs) like but what did trip me off is that y'all call what looks like rugby football that because they don't even kick the ball so that was a little confusing for me as well yeah no fair enough but yeah so i think you know a, a plethora of things i did some therapy i traveled to puerto rico to help with the hurricane there to build homes but i think i feel most healed when i'm in service to others and in many ways i'm still trying to figure out and discover that journey i think my biggest struggle was i lost all motivation Mm. and i was now frustrated at myself that i could no longer be that ambitious excited you know Mm. until someone helped me realize like no you will never be what you were now you have to construct a new version of Mm. based on the new tools that you have and that's been hard (laughs) Mm. it's funny because the you that i have met so i have described you to people as the personification of the phrase what would you do if you had no fear And so to hear you say that you were struggling with motivation, it is incredible to me. And I think it, it's a testament to your resilience and to your the people who have shaped you and to the way that you've shaped yourself, that the person I've met is, I mean, y'all, this guy is texting me every week with a new like idea <laughs> and a new project. And he's like, I'm starting this. I'm doing this. What do you think about this? And after hearing that part of your story and hearing you say, I heal when I am in service to others, I can I can now see that through this, like all of these ideas and this like zest you have for supporting others and for serving others. Yeah, it just kind of rounds out that understanding I have of you. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I'm sure it's like, it's funny too. It's like, basically what I'm saying in this interview is that what you meant is a shell of who I used to be. And you're like, well, the shell still kind of <laughs> is motivated. <laughs> the, the shell's real shiny. So, okay. So I want to talk about, I want to talk about all these other, because I just mentioned all these other projects and I, and I want to make sure we leave time to talk about them. Yeah. But before we move on, I, I want to ask you, since we've touched on the, the ways of healing that you've experienced, I'm curious how you feel about the word healer. When I think about the word healer, I think of my cousin. She is a poet, a traditional healer, and I think a literature giant and lecturer, like our own version of Maya Angelou, in a way. Okay. She's gone through this Zulu spiritual sort of healing calling and then training. Mm -hmm. And whenever I talk to her, I feel healed. So whether it's conversation on you know, feminism or relationships or just navigating through life. She helps put perspective into all these things that may be complex to me at the time or that I may be going through. Just like I should be aware of. So yeah, I think we have a lot of healers in our lives and 
for me, it comes through those type of people and those conversations that I have. And then I think in some ways we are all, we all have the potential to be healers, to heal. And I think mm. for me, you know, like using the medium of architecture to heal, right? So the family that mm-hmm. now has a dignified home gets to heal from the suffering brought by apartheid and the lack of and being sidelined. And how do you feel about the term wounded healer then? I think that's a perfect term because I think we're all wounded. But I also think that that makes us better healers. Mm, I agree with that. Because now we're healing from empathy rather than from theory. Ooh, so it's like a it's an involved healing yeah. rather than a removed. Yeah. And I really hear that in the again, it kind of comes back to what you were saying about architecture, right? Like bringing in Edwardian architecture to South Africa is removed architecture, right? It's not taking into consideration the local people, the history, the culture, what already exists. Involved architecture is, okay, I see what we've been through. I see where you're trying to go. I see where we're trying to go. How can I blend all of that together and build something that is functional, that is updated, and that honors our history? Yeah. 100%. 100%. What I'm kind of hearing is integration and incorporation. Yeah. Ubuntu. <laughs> it's all comes Ubu- together. Yes! Sort of See, you've, you've actually got a word for it. Yeah. I love this word. Okay, so with the spirit of Ubuntu, let's talk about these other projects because you can't, you can't talk about just one thing that you do because everything sort of ties in together. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've been doing a lot less architecture lately and focusing on other means of providing dignity particularly within workplaces so we recently as i have mentioned launched a platform called the t it's on grindt.com mm-hmm. the t is a peer-to-peer inclusion rating platforms where current employees and past employees get to anonymously rate how inclusive or not their workplace was so that women and people of color who are either in between jobs or recent mm-hmm. graduates can find workplaces where they are valued. We worked with some Harvard and Columbia and Deloitte social psychologists to study what causes high turnover amongst women and people of color. And then mm-hmm. we use those six key indicators that you rate across. So right now, you know, platform that exists such as Glassdoor focused mm-hmm. on pay scale and anecdotes like comments but one of our researchers in our team at columbia they studied sort of glassdoor data and found that for you to find relatable anecdotes within that platform you have to read about 30 pages of mm. so you know a white man is saying they use hps instead of max and this person is mad with this and this and etc mm. so we wanted to streamline this and create a platform that targets the key things that causes us to leave workplaces as women and people of color. And some of these things are like path to growth, right? Is there like a clear path for me to grow? Or does John come in and, you know, he plays golf with the boss and the next thing is my boss when I was mentoring Mm. six months ago. Valued expression. Am I meant to be seen at the table and not heard? Or do I actually have a voice within the table? So the things that matter to you as a young professional, you can easily 
quickly see it. But what's beautiful is that you can, let's say, look at Google. And let's say Google has a rating of eight dogs out of 10 because, you know, you got to mm-hmm. make them hot dogs. <laughs> and you have to, well, I'll the, explain. The people don't know why they're hot dogs right now. We haven't talked about yeah, that yeah. yet. <laughs> I'm reverse so. explaining. I'll get to the hot dogs. <laughs> so if, if Google is eight dogs out of 10 dogs, right? You can be like, oh, that's a good score. Or you can be like, mm, what if Google is just like 80% white male? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So you yeah. can then use yeah. a filter in our platform and say your race, your age, mm-hmm. your gender, your sexual orientation. And then it will show you a score specific to your demographic. And that score may drastically change to be like two yeah. out of 10 because that's how people of your demographic are treated. And I think that's an important mention. Man, that's such a good, I've never even thought about the fact that like, I mean, of course these things will be skewed, but I've never thought about what it would be like to be able to go, actually, I would, I only want to hear from the women. (laughs) Yes. And not, you know, yeah, just because it will be skewed or, you know, the people of color will probably want to hear the people of color's opinions about racism in the company more than the white people's opinions about racism in the company. Because that's how you're going to experience it. You're not going to experience it based on John's yeah. experience. All right. Yeah. So yeah, I really love that feature about, about the platform. So yeah, you get to rate your workplace and you get to find workplaces where you're valued. Really excited about it. How did this come about? It came about because before that, I started something called the Anti-Racist Hot Dog. The Anti-Racist Hot Dog started after I got kicked out of a restaurant Uh, because of the color of my skin it's a racist restaurant and i considered like how do i react instead of a traditional protest i designed and built an anti-racist hot dog stand and put it physically on top of the racist restaurant by the beach in south africa then i brought in my friends who are house music djs who had produced for black panther so it was house music hot dogs and dialogue on race and this started pulling people of different races, age groups, etc., and started having a, a, a ripple effect within the city and having impact. So we started creating something called the Anti-Racist Hot Dog Party that we hosted each month. Mm. Uh, President Obama even tweeted about it. And then from there, we're like, how can we take this and bring it to the places where we spend most of our times, which is workplaces and schools? Because we believe that if we mm-hmm. can transform workplaces and schools, we can transform homes, right? Yeah. So from there, the Anti-Racist Hot Dog became this diversity, equity, and inclusion di- consultancy where we come in and throw that party at your workplace and we created something called cooking classes because it's not just about a one-day event. It's like, how do we continue that conversation? We came up with something called the anti-racist hot dog cards, which are these sort of like question card prompts that leaders can use on a weekly basis to have dialogue and inclusion. And that dialogue then shapes the decision-making that particular week. So that started having an impact and traction. But... I also realized that like a lot of the sales we were doing, you know, the sales cycles are long, like six months, et cetera. But more importantly, mm. a lot of the times when we're reaching out to companies like, hey, let's help you out with this. It felt like we were begging. Mm. It felt like they treated sort of inclusion as a nice to have rather than a must have. Whereas according to Glassdoor, 75% of young millennials and Gen Z's choose workplaces based on how inclusive it is. But the problem is there's no meter that says whether workplace is inclusive or not outside of the virtue signaling 
diversity statement on their website. So that's how yes. I then created the T to sort of become that platform that can help us prevent sexual assaults and discrimination and bias before it even happens by going to the companies that already value this. So yeah, he just like drops the mic. Yeah, no problem. Just <laughs> a super amazing project. And this is when you were talking about the anti-racist hot dog stand. This is what I mean when you're the kind of person who like, what would you do if you had no fear? Like you just, I remember watching this all play out from afar. <laughs> I'm like, he's just putting up a stand. He's throwing a party. He's like, you're, and and I love this about you. I think it's a beautiful, I mean, it's a really beautiful thing to be alongside you as you kind of come up with these ideas and you test them out and you go for it and you see what happens. And every time you text me and you're like, hey, check this out. And I'm like, oh, what's he doing now? And it really speaks to this legacy that was instilled in you and that you're carrying on and by virtue of creating projects that will touch so many lives you're spreading that legacy around the world right because you're not just working with people in south africa and and i just think that's it's incredible yeah no and thank you for that and i appreciate it i was talking to a friend of mine here in south africa uh, last week i was like man like my life is mad and stable like i was in the DR for 25 days and this and this. this. It's like, yeah, I get that. And I get how part of that can be like frustrating and you're trying to create a little bit more consistency. But on the other end, I wish I had that, right? Mm. (laughs) So what I want you to do is to take that in and also just be grateful for that experience because that's also like an experience that a lot of folks wish they had. And I thought that was special. And I told her, I was like, you know, I have my moments of that. Like, you know, I'm walking in the DR and I'm like, man, I'm in the DR, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's crazy because I wouldn't have thought about that, you know, growing up in a township in South Africa. So on, on that end, I think I am grateful for all the opportunities that I've had and, and we're only getting started. So Yeah, it's funny because I had, I had one of those moments with you. So when I met you, I had started kind of winding down this years of traveling for work where I was for years, I didn't even have an apartment. I everything I owned fitness suitcase and I was all over the place. And I met you during this like transitional time. And when you and I were sitting out on this like deck outside near the pool. And we're singing (laughs) this Zulu song that I learned from a white choir teacher in Ohio, like, and we had just had these hours of conversations. I was like, this is, this is a moment. This is why I like traveling, Mm -hmm. right? This is why I am connecting with another human Mm -hmm. whose entire life story Mm -hmm. I have yet to learn. Mm -hmm. But here we are, two humans connecting over the fact that you went to school Within a five-hour driving (laughs) range of where I'm from, (laughs) you know, which for us is close. And and I know this song. But it's, you know, I think it's these moments where you just kind of have to zoom out and be like, oh, shit, this is my life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think we need to maybe set a reminder and be more intentional about that because it can feel dark sometimes, right? Because so many problems, Mm. you're trying to solve all these things. But I think that's why I think that's why I keep friends like you, and I think you've played a significant role in that. Even at my low points, like bro, do you remember like 
who you are. <laughs> and like, yes. And yeah, I think, again, this might sound cliche, but like, I always say, like, I didn't start an architecture firm called Ubuntu Design Group because I thought that was a cool word, but it's because the idea of Ubuntu is my life, right? So even when I'm low, I need folks like you to hold me up. I'm always happy to be your cheerleader. Hey, I appreciate that. I appreciate it. So it's not just me doing Ubuntu. Yeah. It's also me receiving that. That is so important. Yeah. And I think it's one of the things that as a therapist, we learn how important it is to take care of yourself in order to take care of other people and, and how you have to be able to receive care. Yeah. For me, learning to receive support and care it's harder. is really difficult. Yeah. It's hard. It's, <laughs> I can give it all day, but it is hard to receive. And I love that that this word Ubuntu really does encapsulate that these aren't two separate things. Giving and receiving are not two separate things. They're two sides of the same coin. coin. Yeah. They're two parts of the same circle. Two parts of the same circle. Because coin um, means you have to flip it to get the other side, right? That's true. Yeah. So I don't know why I just went <laughs> detailed in that. but No, I love it. Ubuntu, that's, that's the key. This leads me into a very, the, maybe the most important question. Please. So in England, they're cheese toasties. In the US, they're grilled cheese. Okay. Are you team grilled cheese or team cheese toasty? Can you define cheese toasties? It's the same thing. It's the oh. same thing. It's, <laughs> it's a grilled cheese sandwich. They just call it a cheese toasty here. So it's and sometimes there's it's cheese the, on top of it. It's the time we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's football and soccer. It's <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say this, but I'm going to go with my colonizer this one. Toasty. No! <laughs> you know why? Here we have something called toast. And toast is where you sort of like, there's a toaster, you know a toaster? But you put cheese and then you close, like the old toasters. Yeah. Cheese and two bread, you put it in and then it cuts it into like a triangle. And then you sort of like get this like. My nice dude, that pizza. is a grilled cheese sandwich. That's a grilled sandwich? <laughs> Okay, I'll go with my <laughs> roots. Grilled cheese sandwich. Now, a follow-up question. Would there be a Zulu term for grilled cheese? <laughs> no, Zulu is too strong for grilled cheese. <laughs> what do you mean it's too strong for grilled in Zulu, cheese? In Zulu, we're lactose. We don't, we don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think we do not have it. We, we would take the English term and Zuluize it. Let's do that. Okay, what would that sound like? It's just putting I, like how it's iPhone, but I doesn't sound like I, it sounds like E. So like, E grilled toast sandwich. Okay. Try it, try it. E grilled. E, e, grilled, e grilled toast sandwich. Yes. E grilled toast sandwich. You gotta have the accent on the sandwich. So, E grilled toast sandwich. What do you mean I have to have an accent on sandwich? So you don't, say, sandwich? you don't say, <laughs> you don't say, you don't say sandwich. You say sandwich. Oh. Sandwich. Yes, yes. You okay. go down. E grilled toast sandwich. Sandwich. Hundred percent. There we it. go. E Perfect. See a humba to a e grilled toast sandwich. Hundred percent. That's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> Next time we're in the same place at the same time, I'm making you a grilled cheese. Please, please. We definitely need to get one of those. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, thank you so much for coming on this, this little podcast of ours, and for sharing who you are and the work you do and the healing you do through all that work, because I think it's pretty incredible. Thank you very much. And I would say this, this is by far the best podcast I've done in a long time. Yes! So thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Hopefully I can come back sometime in the future. I would love to have you back. I had a lot of questions that I didn't even get to this time. Yeah, so. there's a lot we didn't get to, but, you know. There's a lot time. we didn't get to. Part two, loading. <laughs> Part two, look out for it. Yeah. Thanks to our guest for an amazing conversation today. To find out more about today's guest, you can visit www.headheartbiztherapy.com slash podcast. You can find Sarah at, at Head Heart Biz Therapy on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find Anne at at Spare Room Wellness or spareroomwellness.com. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye. <laughs>